listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Annette and I want to thank you for this gift of uh, rest and learning that you gave us. Um, I've been given a lot of gifts in my life, but the gift of a break is like no other. And I'm so thankful for it. I I just got to tell you that... um, God did some special things in my heart in this time away, and I'm going to share some of that with you this morning as we talk about uh, Luke chapter 4. But we got to be with family. We, we kind of, you know, just run in and out to see our family. They're 10 and 12 hours away. Fortunately, they're in the same direction. But when we do get there, we just are there kind of in and out, and we decided on sabbatical we're going to spend days with extended family. And we did. And then we decided that in and out is okay, you know. Um, no, I'm cutting up. We, we love our families. Um, but I did spend one of those weeks uh, a month with my mother-in-law, and I'm not making that up. That was a long week. Uh, but, um, but we loved it. And we got to be with uh, our little buddy Sadie on her birthday, and I brought a picture because you would say, where's the picture? And so this is Sadie at her birthday party. Uh, she turned five years old that day. And um, we were talking one day, and Sadie says to me, she says uh, something about somebody's grandpa. And I said, well, what am I to you? And she looked at me, and she said, you're my grandpa. I said, then why do you call me Ricky? And she just hugged me. She didn't know what to say. But it was great to be with her. And then we got to go to Israel. And... Uh, I'm going to talk to you some about Israel over the next few weeks, I'm sure. I can't be quiet about it. It was far beyond all of my expectations. It was better and greater than I ever dreamed it could have been. And uh, this morning you'll hear some about it. But it was a great learning experience, and I'm so, so very grateful. And i got to say thank you to Judy Akins and our church staff who carried things on and the preacher boys who took care of things while I was gone. Um, I've heard nothing but good about them. And so this morning you got second string in the game, okay? Uh, You might say, Rick, I get it. If I had a seven-week break, I would probably spend my time doing things that are important to me. Like you spent your time with friends and with family and with Jesus in Israel. And I got in a few rounds of golf too in that time. Because we we tend to focus and spend our time and energy on things that are important to us. That's what we value. So let me just give you a a definition here, okay? When we talk about values, we talk about a person's or a society's beliefs about what things are important. So everybody in the room has a list. And on your list, you have, here are the things in my life that, that I believe are important. And so if we just tried to kind of work with this list, let's just kind of throw one up, okay, Um, on the screen here. So you might say, uh, well, I value family. I value friends. Uh, What would I do without friends, you know? Or I value shelter. You got to get in out of the weather, right? I value food and health and transportation. And I think you could just go a long way with that list. I think you might add to that, well, I value media a great deal. Or I value whatever you want to put on that list. I think I want to talk to you this morning, though, about 
those of us who follow Jesus, we have values. And sometimes our values look a little different than the values of people who do not yet follow Jesus. And so let me talk to you about Christian values, okay? Here at Bethany First Church, we talk a lot about we value time with God. And so being here this morning in this room like this is really, really important to us. Because we believe that worshiping together, that's the practice that comes out of this value, worshiping together is very, very important. It's often here that God speaks to me. It's often here that God recenters my life. It's often here that God works in my heart. It's often in this room that God changes me. And we also value personal worship. That's why we find ourselves in the morning before we run out the door grabbing a Bible, some devotional books, and spending some time in God's Word and in prayer. Or maybe you do that before you go to bed, or maybe you do that on your lunch hour. But we value personal worship time as well. We also value time with believers. So we understand that we don't live this life in isolation. We're not left just to figure this out on our own, but we do this in the context of community. And so we value spending time with one another. And and we do that, you know, actually in group life a lot. We've been encouraging you, get in a group. We love mid-sized group, like Sunday school kind of size groups. And then those mid-sized discipleship groups, we're moving into the fall and we're going to be saying to you, if you're in a mid-sized group, as you move into the fall, consider breaking into smaller groups, groups of maybe eight or so. That's where you do even more intimate life with one another. We value time with one another. This really should say um, uh, others, and I'm sorry that it doesn't. It's a misprint on my part. I did that. So others meaning people who do not yet know Jesus, okay? Uh, people who haven't come to Christ yet. So we live with open arms to those people. Come on, be a part of my life. Hang out with me. Let's spend time together. And we also value living generously, giving of our time and service, saying yes when we're asked to serve, and giving of our resources. So, so these are our values, and we have practices with those values. Now, what we're going to learn over these next few weeks, or be reminded of, is that these were the values that Jesus held so tightly to. And you say, how do you know that these were the values that Jesus held so tightly to? Well, because of what Jesus did with his time. See, I could say to you this morning, let me have your phone. Unlock it. Take me to your calendar. I want to scroll through it. And as I scroll through your calendar, I'm going to tell you what's important to you. Because you spend your time doing things that are important to you. You may say, well... I spend a lot of time at work. Well, you may not love going to work, but you go to work because having shelter and food is important to you. And and I might say to you, do you mind pulling up your bank account? Can I scroll through your register? Because as I scroll through your register, I can tell you what's important to you. Because you spend your money on things that are important to you. We spend our time, our money, our energy on things that are really important to us. And so when you look at Jesus' life, and that's what we're going to do in the Gospel of Luke over these next few weeks as we talk about values, we see where Jesus spent his time and his energy. And these are the things that were important to Jesus. And one of the things we're going to focus on today is simply this, that Jesus spent time with God in corporate worship. He went to the synagogue consistently, 
and in personal worship. He understood the importance of worshiping with others, worshiping together, and one-on-one time with God. And we see it over and over again as a pattern in Jesus' life. He said, what you guys are doing today, this thing you're doing right now, you're showing up together and you're focused on God's Word and you're worshiping Him. I did that all of my life. And even when I became adult and I could make choices, I still did it. And even when going to the synagogue was difficult for me because of the tension that was there, I still did it. This, what you're doing right now, Jesus would say, was very much a part of my life. It was a practice that I would not live without. I was unwilling to neglect. And Jesus would also say what was also important in my life was private time with the Father. You can look through the Scriptures and you can watch me. You can chart my life over and over again. I kept slipping away to solitary, quiet places. I kept going to the mountainside. Sometimes I prayed all night because one of the practices in my life that was very, very important, Jesus would say to you today, was that one-on-one time with the Father. Time with God mattered to Jesus. It's got to matter to me if I want to be like Jesus, right? So, let's do this for a minute. Let's talk about Luke, okay? Luke, we know, was a doctor. We know he was a traveling companion of Paul. Here's what I love about Luke, okay? Luke says, I decided to perform an investigation. What are you investigating, Luke? Well, I went back to eyewitnesses, people who actually knew Jesus personally, people who watched him perform miracles, people who traveled with him, and people who witnessed the the resurrection and the crucifixion. Because I wanted to be certain. I didn't want hearsay. I didn't want secondhand information. I went to the original people who witnessed all of these things in Jesus' life. And then I wrote it all down. I wanted to give an account so that you could be certain that what we're being taught is really true. And so he writes it down and we call it the Gospel of Luke. And then he writes also the book of Acts, an account of the early church. Got a question for you. You ready? This is an all-participate, all-skate. Here we go. Who wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else? That is incorrect. I know. It was Luke. Although Paul wrote 13 books and Luke only wrote two, Luke wrote 125 more verses than Paul because his books were long and he writes 5,000 more Greek words than Paul. You can Google that after the sermon, okay? All right. We get to Israel and we're spending days and days in Jerusalem and we head toward Galilee And I'm sitting in a little Mercedes tour bus about halfway back and we top a hill and I can see out the front windshield and I yell out to Syriel, our guide, who is a Jewish man who has embraced Jesus as his Savior. And I said, Syriel, is that it? And he says, that's it, Rick. And right in front of me was the Sea of Galilee. It was one of the most beautiful sights I've ever seen in my life. In fact, we stayed in a hotel on the Sea of Galilee, all right? We would walk out there at night, and I brought a picture. I thought you might want to see it. Just beautiful. This is Tiberias up here on the right, the city of Tiberias. You can see the mountain range all around the Sea of Galilee. It almost looks like the water is setting in a bowl, and the wind rushes down through those valleys and the mountains with great force. 
Here's a daytime picture of it. Um, it was one of the great experiences of my life being on the Sea of Galilee. We were on a boat one day on the sea, and, and I realized that much of what Jesus um, saw is different now. The buildings have changed. Life has changed around there. But on the Sea of Galilee, as I looked up into the Golan Heights and I looked over to the north at Mount Hermon, I realized that 2,000 years ago those mountain ranges looked like they look now. I got on a hat and I got sunglasses on my hat and I pull them off and get them on my face and get the hat down and I turned toward the outside of the boat because I was just emotionally wrecked. For a moment I felt like I was looking through the eyes of Jesus himself. This is what he saw. This is what he saw when he knew what God was asking of him. I can imagine him being in a boat on the sea day after day going from place to place because it was easier just to cross the sea to get from place to place. It's really a lake. They referred to it as a sea. And Jesus knew that it wasn't just His nation that He came to save, but it was the world. And I thought about the weight that Jesus was carrying. How do you live with that kind of a load? How do you go through life as Jesus went through life? And I thought about His short life. He only lived to be 33 years old. He only ministered really for three years in a sense. And here's this young man, the age of some of those pastors who was preaching to you the last few weeks. And he realizes that God has given him a mission. So I want to focus on that mission with you for a few minutes. Here we are in John chapter 4, 14. And so Jesus returned to Galilee and the power, love these words, don't you? And the power of the Spirit, is that referring to His miraculous um, uh, demonstrations? Is that referring to Him being guided by the Spirit? Is that just referring to the Spirit empowering Him to live and do as God has called Him to? And news was spreading throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues. Everyone praised Him. Now hold right here, okay? Everyone praised Him. Doesn't necessarily mean that everybody agreed with Him. There is the possibility of being impressed but not persuaded. I mean, a lot of people today in my life who are impressed with Jesus, they say very complimentary things about Jesus. Even people of other religions say very complimentary things about Jesus. But they're not persuaded. There's a difference, right? And you'll see it here. Next slide says he went to Nazareth. That's... Where he had been brought up, that's his hometown, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as, read it with me, was his custom. Hey guys, this is what I did when I was here. Every week I went to worship. This was his custom. Now, I, I, I know that I'm in a position where I may uh, lean a little bit heavier on geography than I have in the past. Uh, but it's kind of fresh in my mind. And let me just ask you, right before this, what has happened to Jesus? Do you remember in Luke there in chapter 4 what's going on? Temptation in the wilderness by the enemy. So here's a map that might help us a bit. So if uh, this is Nazareth, Jesus' hometown, we think that the temptation occurred somewhere over here in the uh, Judean wilderness, okay, near Engadi, and I was at Engadi. 
uh, near the Dead Sea here one day. It was an incredible sight to see. Um, we also uh, came up to, flew into Tel Aviv, which is here by what was then Joppa, um, and uh, drove up the coast to the Mediterranean Sea, which I'd never seen. It is beautiful. We spent some time in Caesarea. We went on up in all of Galilee. One day we looked over into Lebanon, one day over into Syria, one day over into Jordan. This is the Sea of Galilee. Uh, the Jordan River runs down and feeds into the Dead Sea, the Salt Sea. And so Jesus is here probably when he's tempted by the enemy. Uh, he leaves and travels back up to his hometown of Nazareth. And so that gives you an idea of where Jesus is. All of this is probably about the size of the state of New Jersey. It's a small land area. It's not huge. When you're there in the country, you're amazed at how close everything is together where Jesus hung out and spent his life. But he goes from this area back up to his hometown of Nazareth. Now, I wanted to bring you one picture to show you just to give you an idea. When Jesus was a boy growing up in Nazareth, when he woke up in the morning... This was similar to the view that he saw, okay? This is actually taken from Mount Carmel where Elijah defeated the prophets of Baal. This is the Jezreel Valley. On up there is the Valley of Armageddon. But Jesus was raised in Nazareth, which is about right over here on this other mountainside. And all Jesus would have had to have done as a boy was climb to the top of that mountain to see the same panoramic view that you're seeing now. It was one of the beautiful sights I've ever witnessed in my life, and that was just snapped with my, uh, with my iPhone. So Jesus is living in Nazareth. His ministry begins. He goes to Nazareth, Nazareth, and he begins to teach in the synagogue. So let me take you back to the story. Here we go. He stood up and he read... He read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. So unrolling it, he found the place where it's written. Some of the greatest words in all of Scripture. He's reading from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind Think about where the focus is, the poor, the prisoners, the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Rabbis would teach sitting down. That's why Jesus had a seat. That's why I have a stool. Just wanted you to know. <laughs> Everything was written on the scroll. He reached from Isaiah, rolls it back up. I think it might be helpful if I shared to you what would be a typical synagogue experience, okay? Not all that different than something we would do maybe here. They would begin by reciting the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and strength. Then there were prayers. Some of them were recited. Then there was reading from the Torah, the law, the first five books of the Old Testament. Then there was a reading of the prophets. And then there was exposition, meaning teaching, and then a benediction. This is where Jesus is in this story. They hand him the prophet of Isaiah to read. And after he reads it, he's going to talk uh, about the Scripture from the Torah and he's going to talk about Isaiah. And he says, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. 
I, I know what the good news is for the sinner. It's John 3.16, man. Come on. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, right? Whoever believes. But what's the good news for those who have been sinned against? The oppressed. The poor. The hurting. Those who have been pushed to the curb in life. And Jesus said, I got good news for you. This upside down message of the kingdom of God that Jesus is bringing in and this new Israel that he is to gather together. He is saying, you know what? I've got good news for everybody. The people who normally don't get blessed are going to get blessed in this kingdom. Nobody gets left out. Such a powerful message of what the kingdom of God that Jesus is bringing in will be like. And so he makes three claims. He says, number one, he says, I'm anointed by the Spirit. He sees himself as a prophetic figure bringing in this new era. But here's the great news. I'm going to set people free. Now, we've been talking uh, here for a few weeks now about this room and how important it is to us and how special it has been over the last 50 years. And we've been telling the stories and we're saying, what about the next 50 years? And so we're proposing to, to rehab this room, to renew this sanctuary, to re, redo this room. And, and uh, the stories that we've been hearing have been awesome. You heard a guy named Steve a moment ago on the video talk about how that it was in this room that God spoke to him and he got up and he came to the altar and he gave his heart to Jesus. And many of you have stories of God calling you in this room. There's a couple over here who would say, God called us to Africa while we were sitting in this room one day. And the stories are just endless. And I think about in this room how God has spoken to me. How God has recentered me. How God has helped me to um, get things straight when things weren't straight. How God has called me in this room. You cannot underestimate the value of joining Jesus in the practice of worshiping together. It's often here that I find transformation. And nor can I underestimate the value of what it is for me early in the mornings to grab my Bible and a few devotional tools and a prayer list and to spend some one-on-one time with the Father. I mean, it's there that God recenters me and challenges me. It's there often that God holds the mirror up in front of me and says, Look, Ricky, look, look who you are right now. Look at your heart in this moment. Look at what's going on inside of you. Come on. you got to look. And many times when I look in that mirror that God holds up in front of me, I don't love what I see. And the Lord says, It's okay. I can change this. But you cannot underestimate the value of time spent with God. So when you think about Jesus and this mission, as He is so clearly defined, I am here to bring freedom. Crucial to Him fulfilling His mission is time spent with the Father. See, I have no doubt that that's where He became all in. We're going to do this. 
I have no doubt that that's where he found his strength. I have no doubt that that's where he found courage. And you just see this pattern in his life. Look at these scriptures with me. Uh, over and over again, and he spent, he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea, meaning that he continued to go week after week to the synagogues. Um, I love this. When he was tempted by the devil, his response was, well, it is written, and he quotes scripture. How does he know the scripture? Because he immerses himself in scripture. Look at this. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. Why? Because he kept slipping off to spend time with the Father. Look at this last one. One of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. He prayed all night long. Jesus, what are you doing? You don't understand. There's a couple of practices. Because I value time with the Father so much. I never stopped doing what you guys are doing right now. And I always found a way daily to slip off and pray and spend time with the Father and immerse myself in His Word. This is just how Jesus... I want to be like Jesus, right? I've got one deep supreme desire. I want to be like Jesus. And if I want to be like Jesus, maybe the best thing I can do is begin doing the practices that Jesus practiced. I don't know if it was because uh, I just stepped away. But I began to see BFC in a different light. And some things were just obvious to me. You know that old saying, you can't see the forest for the trees? I think I had to back up. And it was also a great time of soul searching. I felt like the Father held the mirror up in front of me. I need you to see yourself, Ricky, as I see you. I didn't like some of the things I saw. And in my time away, God began to work in my heart. God began to change some things that I believe desperately needed changing. I felt like the Lord was saying, you've been doing some good preaching. I was like, well, thank you. I would love to see you live some of the stuff you're preaching. You know how we've been talking about uh, what's it mean in this moment to love God with all your heart? And what's it mean in this moment to love your neighbor like you love yourself? The Lord's saying, keep preaching that and live that. In every situation in your end, if it's heated, if it's hard, if it's difficult, if it's a struggle, if there's personality comp- what it doesn't matter. What does it mean to love this person in front of you in this moment? Just live that stuff. I just can't tell you how grateful I am for the break. And I don't want to just come back rested. I wanted to come back closer to Jesus. Having time spent with the Father. With words to give you that would bring you life as well. So transformation... A dictionary would tell us is a dramatic change in appearance or form or character. Anybody in the room saying, Rick, I could use a dramatic change in appearance or form or character? No. 
And I got a feeling there might be somebody in front of me saying, Rick, I, I, need, I need God to be doing in me something new. I need a dramatic change. I need God to change me. There's some things in my life that aren't right. I've let some things slip. I'm letting some important things kind of go by the wayside. My values are getting kind of messed around. And I need God to change me. So, you and I know that uh, Jesus always knew what people were thinking. And as we get back to the Scripture, He realizes they're not really with me here. They're, they're impressed, but they're not persuaded. And all spoke well of Him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from His lips. But there was a little question of His pedigree. But isn't this Joseph's son? They asked Jesus, they asked rather, and then Jesus said to them, knowing what they're thinking, He said, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. In other words, show us what you've got. And He explains that. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what you've, we've heard that you've done in Capernaum. And then Jesus has a second response. He says, truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. He's talking about the prophets of Israel over the years and how they were treated by the people of God. And you're not treating me any better. And then his third argument, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut up for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in uh, Zarephath in the region of Sidon. A Gentile, in other words. And listen to this. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian, another Gentile. You know what Jesus is saying? That was a low moment in the history of the nation of Israel. And you know what he's saying? This is another low moment in the history of the nation of Israel. And it's like Jesus was saying, look into this mirror, gang. You need to see yourself for who you've become. You're not who the Father has called you to be. You need to repent. You need to make some changes in your life. You, you need transformation in your heart. And I think the thing that I love so much about the Word of God is that we immediately realize that this morning probably Jesus is holding the mirror up in front of all of us, even collectively as a church. And through His words, He's saying, now that was them, but let's talk about you. That's the Word of God. Now how do you apply that to your life today? You want to take a look? Here's what I see. And there may be some of you saying this morning, hey, hey Rick, when you talk about valuing time with God, I mean, I could say that I value time with God, but my life is not reflecting it. You know? Church has become a little bit hit and miss. It needs to be hit. 
We jump up in the morning at our house and, man, our day is packed so full we run out the door without even a thought of Jesus. Time we get home and get in bed, we're exhausted and we jump up the next day and do it all again and we're just not creating that space where we slip off like Jesus did and find quiet places to be with the Father. So we all get to choose this morning how we respond to this word. Let me show you how the people of Israel responded to this word. All the people in the synagogue were furious. Don't you hold that mirror in my face, man. They got up, drove him out of town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went his own way. If you hear me this morning up here pointing my finger at you saying, you know what you ought to do? Here's what you ought to do. (laughs) I, I, I don't want it to be that way. I wish you could hear an invitation. Let me invite you to a deeper walk with Jesus. Let me invite you to a relationship with the Father that you only have dreamed about having. Let me invite you to this special place of relationship with the Lord that He wants to draw you in close, put His arms around you, and hold you from time to time. You know what I'm saying? It's an invitation to a better life. So... Nat and I, sometimes we'll get a call like this. We got one a couple weeks ago. We're going to be going through Oklahoma and uh, people from Cincinnati, friends from Cincinnati. We're going to be driving through Oklahoma. And uh, we thought maybe we might um, stop and grab a meal with you. And so, we, yeah, we'll meet you for a meal. So we met them at a restaurant, telling stories, laughing, having a good time, memories. Pastored them for 10 years. He says to me, 16 years ago, I came into your office and I told you that I had no relationship with God. I considered myself a Christian. I'd asked to be saved, but I'd, I didn't feel like I had any sense of closeness with God. He said, you handed me, do you remember it? I didn't remember it. A little book called Our Daily Bread, a little devotional book. I said, okay, I'm not surprised. I, I was giving those out in those days. He said, I still get it in the mail. If I'm traveling, I often read it online. But almost every day of my life for the last 16 years, I read that devotional and I pray. And Tom Kerr says, it changed me. I mean, it was life-changing. He looks across the table at Cheddar's Restaurant and says, thank you. I mean, I'm a pastor. What am I supposed to do if somebody comes to me, you know? So what's that look like for you? I've been praying this week that that someone would be here this morning and your life tomorrow morning would look different. You'd set the alarm at a little different pace. We have a devotional that goes along with this sermon that you can get on email, you can get it on the app, or you can pick it up in the foyer. And it's brief. doesn't take long to read it. Mike Brooks oversees all of that. And you could start there. And then you could pray. And you could say, what? Next Sunday, I'm going to be here. 
And the next Sunday, I'm going to be here. Because time with God is important, like it was to Jesus. And God deserves my worship and my allegiance and my time with Him. It's my worship to Him. And so your life could look like that. God wants to take your heart. If you feel like, Rick, I just feel cold inside. I just feel like my heart's kind of hard these days. God says through His prophet Ezekiel, I want to give you a heart of flesh and take away your heart of stone. In other words, God is saying, I can change you. And it's through practices often that God changes us. Yeah. Well, we're going to celebrate today. We're going to ask God for grace. Celebrating the presence of Jesus. And even as you receive the bread and the juice this morning, you were receiving in that moment the grace of Jesus into your life. Lord, help me. Would you help me? Would you change me? And so as you receive the elements this morning, just realize As John Wesley said, he has extended this to you as a means of grace. Why would you not do this as often as you could, Wesley said. This is how God is changing us. So let's stand together. Trays will be passed before you in a moment. We have our servers who are coming. And when you receive the the cups stacked together, there are two. Take both. The bread is in the bottom. You can put that in your hand. And as they come before you, would you hold them? Uh, until everybody is served. We practice open communion. You don't have to be a member of our church to receive. I would say this to you. Please be sincerely seeking Jesus if you do, and we invite you to. And then after everybody is served, we will eat and we will drink together. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.